If you're a fan of big ideas, debate, and politics, check out our festival partner, Geopolitical Magazine Foreign Policy. A forum for informed debate about global affairs, foreign policy keeps a finger on the pulse of world news and political happenings. Beyond articles that delve behind the headlines via traditional reporting, Foreign Policy has so many other products to offer, ensuring that no matter how you like to engage with eye-opening content, there is a method for you. Check out their free offerings, like Foreign Policy Live, their forum for live journalism, newsletters, and podcasts. And with a subscription, unlock in-depth features and quarterly magazines, including their recently dropped spring edition, All About India. Fans of IAI will love Foreign Policy for more of the mind-expanding, insightful content that they seek. To explore their content, take advantage of an exclusive discount for IAI fans. Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything Foreign Policy has to offer. The Institute of Art and Ideas, articles, videos, and podcasts. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, the podcast that brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. When we look back, our century will undoubtedly be defined by the rise of intelligent machines. But in the future, will humans and artificial intelligence coexist symbiotically? And is it possible that we'll ever be able to merge with AI? On today's episode, we're joined remotely by American philosopher and cognitive scientist Susan Schneider, who delves into the future of AI-human relations. AI-based brain enhancement technologies could actually augment intelligence at a rate that is much quicker than biological evolution. I call this new enterprise mind design. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter, and head over to our website, iai.tv. Back now to Susan Schneider. So it's 2045 and today you're out shopping. Your first stop is the Center for Mind Design. As you walk in, a large menu stands before you and it lists brain enhancements with funky names. Hive Mind is a brain chip allowing you to experience the innermost thoughts of your loved ones. Zen Garden is a microchip for Zen master level meditative states. Human Calculate gives you savant level mathematical skills. What would you select, if anything? Enhanced attention? Mozart level musical abilities? You can order a single enhancement or a bundle of several. So today's talk is about the future of the mind. It's about how our understanding of ourselves, our minds, and our nature can change the future for better or for worse. Today, what I'll focus on is the following question. At a place like the center, could you truly merge with artificial intelligence? Here's a roadmap for where we're going. First, in part one, I'll discuss some background issues. I'll introduce transhumanism, neurotechnology, and certain age-old philosophical questions. Second, in part two, I'll talk about what I call design ceilings on human brain enhancement. These involve the nature of consciousness and the nature of personhood. 
Finally, I'll conclude by discussing some big picture issues involving our place in the cosmos and the road ahead. So let's get started. So the evolution of the brain was obviously constrained by environmental, anatomical, and metabolic demands. But in contrast, AI-based brain enhancement technologies could actually augment intelligence at a rate that is much quicker than biological evolution. I call this new enterprise mind design. Notice that mind design is actually a form of intelligent design, but we, not some god, purport to be the designers. Well, I find the prospect of mind design quite humbling, frankly, because if you think about it, we're not terribly evolved socially. We walk the moon, we harness the energy of the atom, yet racism, greed, and violence are still all too commonplace. Our social development often lags behind our technological prowess. So it's a good idea to start thinking about radical brain enhancement now before it's too late. Let's go back to the hypothetical center for mind design. I want to add a little something to the thought experiment from the book. Suppose at the center, there will be a new menu item rolled out soon. Suppose that if clinical trials go as planned, customers could order an enhancement bundle called Merge, a series of enhancements allowing you to gradually augment and then transfer all your mental functions over to the cloud over a period of say, five years. Now let me go back to my question. Could you do this? Could you merge with artificial intelligence? Before I answer, being a philosopher, I like preliminaries. Um, first, I want to ask simply, what is it to merge with artificial intelligence? And secondly, I want to preempt a concern that all these issues are just too speculative. So I want to ask, isn't a merger just something that is too speculative to concern ourselves with? Well, let's talk first about what it is to even merge with AI. I'm going to focus on one overarching idea that I find present in transhumanism. So transhumanism is a philosophical and cultural movement that says that humans can overcome their biological limitations through science and technology. So the transhumanists, now they vary in particulars. I mean, there are a lot of transhumanists out there, um, but overall they tend to have the following trajectory for human intelligence enhancement. Start with an unenhanced human, you and I, and say, 20 years from now, we engage in significant upgrading of our cognitive, perceptual abilities, and other sorts of physical enhancements. At some point over time, as we begin to embark upon enhancement after enhancement, at some point, we're no longer technically human. We're not homo sapien any longer. And then, Beyond this point, again, as we accumulate more radical enhancements, according to the transhumanist, 
not only are we no longer technically human, but we become a form of super intelligent AI. Super intelligent AI, by definition, is a hypothetical form of AI that outthinks humans in every respect, mathematical reasoning, social skills, and more. So this rough trajectory is something that seems quite implicit in the work of Elon Musk, his ideas when he talks publicly about where it's all headed, Nick Bostrom um, in his book, Super Intelligence, for example, Natasha Vida Moore, who I'll be talking with um, at this festival about these ideas, as well as her husband, Max Moore, both founders of transhumanism, Ray Kurzweil, of course, in his influential books, and the late Stephen Hawking. So lots of people hope that this is a trajectory we can embark upon and achieve. Well, one thing that I want to bring up, because, you know, I only have 45 minutes today to discuss these issues, is that it's important to realize that transhumanists of today tend to say that these enhancements will increasingly involve replacing parts of the brain with AI components. I want to stress that because I will have particular concerns with that idea, as you'll see. So now, this is obviously speculative, but is it irrelevant because it's speculative? Well, let me just suggest quickly that transhumanism is a currently very, very influential view of the future of the mind. So as someone who works with Congress as the NASA chair right now, I'm constantly on you know, panels with members of the tech community, like technology CEOs, AI researchers, and even members of Congress. And I think it is a well-respected position about where it's all headed. So I think it's important that we take it seriously. Further, I like it as a philosopher. This is why I was drawn to transhumanism when I was younger, um, because it raises classic philosophical issues in a new technological format. So as we'll see, it does ask whether consciousness transcends the brain. Of course, this is an age-old question uh, because it asks whether you could survive things like uploading or replacing parts of your brain with microchips. Further, as a cognitive scientist who actually wrote a book on the computational structure of the brain in the past, um, I'm very interested because I see the transhumanists as embracing a view that suggests that the mind is computational and further, the mind is something like a software program. And in my book, I actually go after the view that the mind is a software program, even though I do agree with the position that the brain is computational. Okay, finally, although these issues are speculative, as we move into the future, we have to remember not to commit what the historian Michael Best called the Jetsons fallacy. So consider films and cartoons like Star Wars and the Jetsons, where all around the main characters, there are sophisticated robots and there's lots of AI, but the humans themselves are unenhanced. Do they remain the same? Or the humanoids, I should say. Well, in both of those cases, best suggests that there's a sort of Jetsons fallacy, if you will, um, assuming that AI will change the world, but it won't actually change us. Let's not make that assumption. We're already seeing important developments. So for example, consider Elon Musk um, 
who suggests that humans can keep up with AI by having some sort of merger of biological intelligence and machine intelligence. And to this end, he founded Neuralink uh, with the idea of creating eventual implantable chips, allowing data from your brain to travel wirelessly to one's digital devices. And indeed, just a few days ago, um, he released a video on YouTube showing that the chips have already been implanted in the skulls of pigs who are walking around um, foraging for food and actually their neuro neural activity was being recorded. You could actually see it on the screen. So, I mean, I'm impressed by the technology that he's bringing to bear here. And I think that this kind of technology could actually happen. He wants to make it as commonplace as LASIK. Well, even now, there's a lot of therapeutic work on this sort of thing. So for example, Ted Berger currently has an artificial hippocampus in phase two clinical trials in the US. He's been working on this project for 15 years. And as Musk himself brought up, this technology is quite promising in the context of helping individuals who are, for example, locked in. So this is important stuff, but as a philosopher, I'm concerned with the idea that it should become used as an enhancement without the proper guardrails. Okay, Facebook's working on this as well. The US uh, Defense Department, the emerging technologies wing called DARPA, uh, a company called Kernel and Google. So, you know, this is the wave of the future. Okay, this being said, now what I'd like to do is kind of wear the hat of the skeptic. Um, I want to introduce what I call design ceilings involving consciousness and personhood. So here I'm interested in limits on human intelligence enhancement that are actually not imposed by technology. They are instead philosophical in nature, believe it or not. I know that may sound funny, but I'm not at all suggesting that neurotechnology will not impose limits as well. There will be all sorts of limitations that we will encounter within medicine um, and there will be legislative guardrails, I hope. Um, but what I'm interested in are philosophical issues. So first, what I'll do is I'll raise what I call the consciousness ceiling. This arises if microchips fail to underlie conscious experience. Second, I'll introduce the self-ceiling. This is a point beyond which the person who attempts to enhance her intelligence is no longer the same individual they were before because the procedure causes that individual who sought enhancement to cease to exist. Okay, so let's get started with these design ceilings. So I like talking about the nature of consciousness because it's a happy idea. Um, so think about this. So there you are. I took this picture um, when I was in Florence. It's not a very good picture, but it reminds me of a happy time. I was on that famous bridge looking at the sunset. So, you know, think about what it would feel like to be standing there. You're seeing the rich hues of the sunset or you're smelling the aroma of your morning espresso shot. And it feels like something to be you. See how I worked that into my talk. So consciousness is that felt quality of inner experience. Every day of your waking life, and even when you're dreaming, 
it feels like something to be you. That's what consciousness is. It's not the same thing as having a conscience, although the words sound similar. So as I like to tell my students, Jeffrey Dahmer uh, had no conscience, but he was highly conscious when he was dismembering people. There, you'll never forget that. So for more on this issue, you might want to look at David Chalmers' work on the hard problem of consciousness. But that's what consciousness is. Now, Richard Dawkins, he always says such provocative things. He said this in a recent film that we were both in. He said, it's not obvious to me that a replacement of our species by our own technological creations would necessarily be a bad thing. Well, think about this now. If non-conscious machines supplant biological intelligence, the singularity would actually be a complete nightmare. All the technological bells and whistles happen, but they result in the end of consciousness on Earth. That's kind of sobering. So this brings me to my consciousness ceiling. So go back to the hypothetical mind design center. What if you decide, hey, I'm gonna buy merch. That sounds good. Well, if AI is incapable of being conscious, merging with AI is a terrible idea. If microchips are the wrong stuff for consciousness, then a mind machine merger can't happen. If you try, you lose your conscious experience. And since a lot of philosophers point out, consciousness seems to be an essential feature of, of having a mind, the capacity for consciousness. So arguably, you would literally lose your mind when you went into the mind design center. Um, wow. So that constitutes a major enhancement wall on human intelligence augmentation. So the idea of merging with AI in that case is a joke. AI though, in contrast, isn't conscious in this case as per our assumption that AI isn't conscious. So it won't hit that design ceiling. It doesn't have that wall and it will be free to be as intelligent as we make it or as it makes itself. So that was the consciousness ceiling. Now I wanna to turn to a different ceiling. This one I call the self ceiling. Now suppose for the purpose of discussion that the consciousness ceiling doesn't arise. Should you buy merge then? Are you okay? Well, here I just wanna point something out. It's your decision, obviously. But in order to understand whether you should enhance in these extraordinarily radical ways, you need to understand what you really are to begin with. Um, you need to ask the philosophical question, what is the self or person? Here's what I mean. I think it's important to ask, would you continue to exist or would you have actually been replaced by someone or something else when you engage in such a radical form of enhancement? This gets to issues in contemporary metaphysics. Um, consider, for example, 
the metaphysics of everyday objects, such as an espresso machine. You can tell I like coffee. Um, so ask yourself, and this may seem silly, but it will illustrate the point. What's essential to an espresso machine continuing to be an espresso machine? Suppose that you're, um, you know, irritated with it and you grab, you know, some sort of massive science fiction-y ray gun and you reduce it to nothing. It just becomes fragments of dust. In that case, the espresso machine ceases to exist. In contrast, suppose you just change its color somehow. You still have that espresso machine. So clearly, when it comes to everyday objects, certain changes in a thing actually cause the thing to cease to exist, but others do not. The properties that a thing needs, the features that a thing needs in order to continue existing, those are called by philosophers essential properties. They're essential to the continuation of the object. Well, there's a related issue in metaphysics, which is one of the key issues in contemporary metaphysics and the literature there is called personal identity. And it asks what changes in a person will actually bring about the end of the person versus what changes are compatible with the continued existence of the person. So that is called the personal identity debate. And my point here in bringing this up is the following. Even if an enhancement at the Center for Mind Design yields superintelligence, so it makes the individual enhanced far more intelligent, it needs to not involve the elimination of any of one's essential properties, because then the individual actually ceases to exist. You see? So in that case, suppose you went into the Center for Mind Design. Well, if you engaged in a radical enhancement that involved the elimination of your essential properties, one or more of them, you didn't merge. Even if the technology was adequate, even if it was from a scientific standpoint, perfect, the sharper mind would actually be experienced by someone or something else. Okay, so this leads me to articulate what I call the self-sealing. This is a point beyond which the person who attempts to enhance is no longer the same individual they were before because the procedure causes the individual who sought enhancement to actually cease to exist. So I think in order to figure out how serious the self-sealing is, it helps then to engage with that literature and philosophy and ask, what are we? Who are we? There are different theories of the nature of the self or person in the field of metaphysics. One very popular view is called brain-based materialism. And this says that you are essentially your brain and perhaps elements of your body, you know, perhaps your peripheral nervous system and whatnot. Another very popular view is the psychological continuity view. And this says that you are essentially your memories and your ability to reflect on 
yourself. This goes back to the philosopher Locke. And in its most general form, because there are so many different versions of this view, you are your overall psychological configuration. And indeed, many transhumanists like this view. They actually hold a very similar position. I consider it to be even a version of the continuity view, which Ray Kurzweil calls patternism. Patternists say the following. What is essential to you is your computational configuration. The sensory systems and subsystems your brain has, like early vision, the association areas that integrate the basic sensory subsystems, the neural circuitry making up your domain general reasoning, your attentional system, your memories, and so on. Together, these form the algorithm that your brain computes. So you survive insofar as that algorithm has some sort of pattern and in a sense continues over time. There's also the soul theory. Your essence is your soul or your immaterial mind. That is the mind understood as a non-physical entity that's actually distinct from the body. And here's a view which a lot of transhumanists also like and I think is very, very interesting and important. This is what is called the no-self view. On this view, the self is really an illusion. So there are something like bundles of impressions, as Hume said, but there's no underlying substance or self that is behind the bundle. Or as Parfit and even the Buddha apparently claim, there's no survival from moment to moment because there's really no person there. Or as Nietzsche put it, the I is just a grammatical fiction. Okay, these are just some theories, there are more, but time is short, so I wanna focus on these. And I just want to illustrate quickly that each of these views of personal identity actually has its own implications about whether to merge with AI. So brain-based materialism. Well, you can't upload to the cloud, you can't replace your brain with microchips because at some point you will die if you replace too much of your biological brain. I mean, that just seems obvious. <laughs> if, you're, if you like materialism, uh, then neurotechnology should develop biological brain enhancements and very minimal AI enhancements that do not replace or damage key parts of the brain. Okay, so to go back to the Neuralink demo on YouTube the other day with the pigs, they had actually taken part of the skull out and they put um, chips inside the skull so they didn't replace parts of the brain. But suppose, as per the work of someone like Ray Kurzweil, the enhancements really began to replace the biological brain. Or suppose, as per many transhumanists, one uploaded to the cloud. Well, they'd be killing themselves on the assumption that the brain is essential to one's survival. Okay, so materialism is the leading view. So we should take it very seriously, I think. Um, now, what about the soul theory, you may ask? Well, in that case, you could ask your religious advisor what to do. I mean, this is a, a deep religious question. What about the no self view? Well, in this case, it's kind of funny because technically, you don't really merge with AI. You don't exist, you see. And, you know, there's no you, so there's no survival, again. So, 
but you could strive to enhance because you like the idea of that future being or bundle, I should say, bundle of impressions, having, you know, super intelligence or something like that. Okay, what about patternism, you may ask? Just remember, this was a version of the psychological continuity view that the transhumanists seem to like. Well, one problem is this, and nobody has ever, I mean, I've had this view for like 10 years, I don't think anybody's ever really answered this objection. Um, we don't really know when a pattern continues or ends. So remember, the idea is that you are something like an algorithm. Well, algorithms change whenever, you know, you add a new line of code. So the point though is that it's some sort of algorithm that's allowed to morph in some respects over time, some sort of pattern that is compatible with the survival of the person. Well, then what I need to know is what changes in the algorithm are kosher and what ones are not. In fact, I don't think someone who is an advocate of this view should engage in radical enhancements at the Center for Mind Design until they have an answer to that. I mean, maybe deleting a few bad chess playing habits is kosher, but what about more serious mind sculpting endeavors like adding several brain chips that give you new cognitive abilities? In fact, even using the Neuralink idea of just removing part of the skull and putting chips in, that could instantiate a different pattern, a radically different one, and that itself adding many different chips in a way that doesn't even remove parts of the biological brain could actually mean that the person ceases to exist. Again, we need to know which changes are kosher and which ones are not. It's really not clear. I think these are deep-seated philosophical issues. I mean, we may never have a way to tell because of course, the person will be a well-functioning person at the end of the surgery. They'll have your memories. So how can you tell whether it's you or not? Or how can one tell whether it's you or not? Okay, so that, that was the transhumanist favorite view. So what I suggest in my book, because I have several chapters on this issue in part two of the book, is that claims involving the survival of a person uh, who tries to transfer their mind to a new type of substrate um, or making drastic alterations in the brain need to be carefully scrutinized, as I've said in recent op-eds for the New York Times and the Financial Times. We need to bear in mind that there's actually intense philosophical disagreement about the nature of the self or person. So here I suggest taking what I call a stance of metaphysical humility. Even enhancements that just involve the gradual replacement of parts of your brain without enhancing one's cognitive or perceptual skills, those could be risky because the brain could be essential to the self. Take a safer approach then. Limited integration with AI through removable devices, like an intellectual exoskeleton, if you will. Biological enhancements or implants that don't remove existing brain tissue. Further, I take my job to be one in which I inform the public of risks and encourage, for example, in the context of the United States, that there be actual FDA regulations on brain enhancements that require individuals to understand issues involving the self. 
What I want to do now is I want to just conclude with some big picture observations based on my work as the NASA chair at NASA and the Library of Congress. So we talk a lot about exoplanets over at NASA, planets that are in principle habitable. They're Earth-like planets. And of course, the question is whether they're truly inhabited or not. Um, does anybody live there? Suppose that um, people who are claiming the answer is yes are correct. And you know, I think that, that a lot of people at NASA feel that way, that these exoplanets aren't just habitable, but some of them are actually inhabited by life. Now suppose this life survives its technological maturity, begins to develop its own artificial intelligences. I actually think if life does survive its technological maturity, it will be utilizing things like computers and it will have discovered the import of computation and it will also discover the import of brain augmentation. Um, so I think that the most intelligent civilizations will actually be ones that utilize these technologies and actually became post-biological. Um, that's an expression we use in this literature uh, in astrobiology. Uh, so individuals like Seth Shostak, Paul Davies, Stephen Dick, um, Martin Rees, we've all claimed that out there, the most intelligent civilizations could actually be ones that are synthetic emerging from civilizations that were once biological like our own. So if there are such civilizations out there, the issues I raise today take a cosmic import because if it's the case that civilizations are hitting their own technological singularities or something like it, they need to ask questions about enhancement. They need to ask whether there's a consciousness ceiling and whether there's a cell ceiling. So this, of course, inspires humility, the idea that these issues could impact the evolution of intelligence throughout the universe. That is to say, it impacts our position on the intelligence of creatures far away, because in fact, um, how we think of machine consciousness impacts our understanding of whether these synthetic beings are conscious or not. To go to Carl Sagan, to conclude, um, he wrote, you're an interesting species, an interesting mix. You're capable of such beautiful dreams and horrible nightmares. That's from Contact, uh, a favorite film and story of, of mine. And I think all this really suggests that our technological prowess is not enough. To understand the future of human intelligence, and indeed to even understand the evolution of intelligence throughout the universe, we need to actually appreciate the philosophical issues lying beneath the algorithms. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. Remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen. And tune in next week for more big ideas from the world's leading thinkers. One, two, three, four. 
Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.